Thought-provoking? No question. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. My guests in the studio today, both regulars on this program, and it's a pleasure to have them both back again, uh, Marion Boyd and Bob Metz, and welcome to both of you. Thank you, Jim. Good Morning, to be Jim. here. There are a number of issues out there today that uh, that I think would uh, benefit, if I can use that word, from a, a discussion with our guests today. And, of course, Left, Right, and Center is not necessarily about uh, being uh, taking doctrinaire political positions. It's often just a discussion with some intelligent, well, at least two intelligent people, and I'll be here too, about <laughs> some of the issues of, of the day and how they might impact or affect the rest of us. I'd like to ask both of you about a story out of British Columbia, and I apologize that I don't have, I don't have lavish details on this, but the story's pretty straightforward. A cocaine, cocaine dealer in British Columbia, fellow who'd been convicted of this previously, um, admitted that he had sex with a 12-year-old girl. During the course of the trial, although he had admitted this, I guess he hadn't pleaded guilty. He pleaded not guilty for some legal reason. But uh, during the course of the trial, it came out that, uh, yes, he was not denying that he had had sex with this, with this little girl. Um, ultimately, he was convicted. He appealed, and the British Columbia Court of Appeal has uh, overturned the conviction and, in fact, acquitted him, said, you are free to go on this basis that the Crown danced around the issue of this fellow's previous criminal history and you are in, in this country you are allowed to introduce into evidence in some specific cases and in some carefully constrained ways evidence of someone's past uh, history but only within these very strict confines and if you step outside of those lines in spite of the fact that you might say, well, of course it would be relevant, she was taken to his drug den where he and his buddies were doing their dope and he was selling his dope. We don't know what happened at that point, whether she may have been uh, given dope or promised dope. We don't know what happened there. But obviously this fellow's criminal background is would suggest, and here's where, the, here's where the rubber hits the road, would suggest that maybe he's guilty of this. He seems like maybe he's, quote, that kind of guy. The law doesn't see that distinction. And I want to ask my guests today whether, whether we should be concerned about the fact that this could happen, that this could be acquitted on those very, legal, uh, very narrow and legalistic grounds. Um, sh should we be changing the law in that area? Or is this just the price we pay for having a complex and comprehensive criminal code? And Marianne, I'm going to ask you, you were, mm -hmm. are the former Attorney General of the province. When you hear about that story and hear about sort of the ins and outs, uh, is this a price we have to expect to pay given the complexity of our system? Well, I'm, I was surprised initially that this uh, wasn't simply sent back for a retrial. Uh, it was an error in law uh, if, as the newspaper account says, if the defense did not bring up the issue of character, mm -hmm. then until he was convicted, the Crown could not. And if they skirted too close, that is an error in, in law. But I, what I'm surprised about is that in, in reviewing that, that the court uh, threw out the charge altogether rather than sending him back for a retrial. It may be because of the timing. This is a very delayed case yes. in any case. So it may be that. But one of the things that, uh, you know, we need to be really aware of, and we certainly see it if we watch Law and Order, mm -hmm. for example, the police know 
what they need to do. The Crown knows what they need to do. And if they mess up, they lose cases. And quite frankly, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's just the reality that we have to face uh, in, a, in a constitutionally based, in a rights-based uh, democracy. Robert? I tend to agree with everything Marion said. It's like asking, uh, you know, should O.J. Simpson have been acquitted? Because we, I think most people think that he w had something to do with those murders. Um, it does sound like a mistrial of some sort yeah. because of of uh, an improper process being followed. And, and I'm as surprised as Marion that it go didn't go back to trial. It should have been just retried before a new judge and jury and then do it right the second time. It may so be, though. We don't know enough, of yeah. course, in terms of the details of this case to... to make any judgments beyond that point. I, I'm sure there had to be some mitigating circumstances in okay. this case that we're not aware of. I want to take it broader than I want to take it broader than the case because you're quite right and you're both mm -hmm. right. We don't have we don't mm -hmm. have a transcript. We don't have a, a truly accurate picture of this. But this is not the first time we've seen cases like this and this is not the first time this issue has come up. This issue of of character, of whether character has any should have any bearing on a criminal case at all. And of course the the fu the fundamental principle is it does not matter what you did yesterday if you were before the court it is you are before the court for what you did today metaphorically speaking um, so whatever you may have done up till now it, it does it, although it may have some bearing on what you've done you come before the court on the basis of the crime of which you are accused but there are many people who say that we have allowed that to distort the process that that you take somebody with a long criminal record and they are put before the court on a specific charge for which there is obviously enough evidence to bring the mm -hmm. charge forward but perhaps out of the context of the individual's life, the charge may, may seem less severe, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, um, offense may seem less severe, and the jury may be inclined to say, well, well okay, it's not that bad, etc., 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 and this person may not feel the full weight of the law that some people well, think they should. My guess is they probably introduced issues of character before they determined his guilt or innocence on the case right. before yes, them, and yes. that, would, that would have been an error in law yeah. and in jurisprudence. I don't think Absolutely. you want to do it that way. Character does matter, though. After the specific incident has been adjudicated, the person's been found guilty and the judge has to pass sentence, then it's an appropriate there, time to bring up past records yeah. because it would affect his uh, sentence because it mm -hmm. wouldn't be the same as a first-time offender. Um, and I think that's the proper place where the issue of character should be brought in. On the other hand, the defense often will use the character card. And if we can think back, I'm pretty sure, in the uh, Helmut Buxbaum mm -hmm. trial, the defense tried this business of this is a perfectly fine, upstanding business yeah. person and all the rest of that. As soon as you bring up that, then they could bring in his drug use. Mm -hmm. They could bring in his, his uh, association with the people who actually did the murder and, and, and make the connection because the defense brought up characters. So that's one thing. The, the second thing is the other place where it can happen and is very, very strict evidentiary rules around what we call similar case evidence so that if, if, if someone has, for example, murdered before, and they're up mm -hmm. for on a murder charge, mm -hmm. they've murdered before, and the circumstances were similar, if the Crown can make the case before the judge without the jury, which is mm -hmm. what has to happen in a, in a, in a, um, a closed uh, hearing, uh, that this is, has, is similar case evidence and ought to be brought because otherwise people are operating in the dark, the judge makes a decision as to whether that evidence is in fact similar enough. It's very hard to get that that to happen. Mm -hmm. But in that case, then the Crown is able to bring that forward. So in all of these cases, you have to have 
uh, a specific reason for bringing it before, and it appears that this wasn't the case in this case. The other issue in this case may be, and I, I, it, it would be hard to tell, this is an old case because apparently there was a delay in this because this guy went back to Guatemala or something for yeah. in the middle of it. Um, you you got to remember that that victim is now quite a bit older. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't, if, if her evidence isn't sound, you probably wouldn't get a conviction in the long run anyway. So that, that may uh, have had some mm-hmm. bearing well, on isn't it. There, isn't there an issue here, though, because we, we do hear so much about about the abuse of women in our society, the sexual abuse of women and children in our society. And here's a, 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 what appears to be a fairly egregious offense, to my mind, um, uh, committed against this 12-year-old girl. What do we say to her now when all of a sudden, and gee, we're sorry, we, we, didn't, we didn't dot every I and cross every T. Sorry about your hard luck. Even though we know or we believe we know from, from multiple reports that these kinds of... Uh, uh, these kinds of offenses and these kinds of interactions between adults and children can be scarring for these children for life, can be uh, life-altering, can, can uh, not to put too fine a point on it, in some cases can destroy these children's lives. What do we say to this girl? Now that now this young woman, probably 16, 17, 18 by now, is that, is that all we say to her? Gee, we're sorry we didn't cross the T's and dot the I's? The Crown loses sexual assault cases all the time. The threshold for convicting somebody, for taking somebody's freedom away by putting them in jail or destroying their ability to earn a living is very high beyond a reasonable doubt it's like 99.9 percent um and and the reality is it's very hard often to have the body of evidence that can prove that so sexual assault cases are lost all the time unfortunately and yes that's very hard on the victims we have to be very very clear that there are two things going on that the victim doesn't feel re-victimized by that process in other words that they don't hang who they are on on a guilty verdict but that they um, are are helped (coughs) to understand that they've done what they can to defend themselves by bringing forward the complaint in the first place I mean so all of that has to happen but yeah in this case I mean it may well be that this was a street child unfortunately sort of sounds like it and uh, probably had had been through a lot before if, if she's typical of, of a lot of, of, of young people who get into this kind of a mess, mm-hmm. particularly in the drug culture. And uh, it, it breaks your heart to think that yet another proof to her that nobody cares about her will have come from this care court case. I, th- I think that question's a little broader than, than just this particular case. I mean, what do you say to anyone whom the system has failed, even to the people who've been um, convicted of a crime they didn't commit. What do you say to them after you find out they've been in jail for 20 years uh, for a murder they didn't commit, and then they get out? Um, it's an unresolvable issue. You can't do it. You, you know, you say I'm sorry. You try to compensate that kind of person, and uh, you know we, we don't live in a perfect society. And sure, we not try to compensate this this individual. We say we fa- we failed you. We know we failed you. The crown failed you. Your representative failed you. The queen failed you. The queen every, is supposed every, to be your every, defender. Every time we lose a case, we can't be compensating no. people because we lose a case. We we just can't. But if you lose the case through some kind of ineptitude on the part of the crown, well, then you have to appeal. Yeah, that That's about the only avenue you have. She open. can't appeal. She has no room. No, no. no she has no standing. She wasn't accused of anything. Yeah. She's a witness. That is what she is in this in yeah. in, in the court yeah. terminology. Um, but 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 Jim, think about it. You certainly wouldn't want victims of crime to be able to be compensated by the state every time you can't get to that ninety nine point nine percent 
Wouldn't, wouldn't it matter doubt. why you didn't get there, though? I mean, if a doctor, if a doctor, if a doctor commits, you know, egregious malfeasance when they're operating on you, you have redress against the doctor. If a lawyer misrepresents you, that. you have redress against the lawyer. The crown dropped the ball on this one, but we have no redress against the crown, or she has no redress. Is that proper? Is that appropriate? The crown is not acting for her. The crown is acting for you and me. The crown is always acting on behalf of all the citizens, not on behalf of the victim. Well, should and we that's something that people really forget. Um, the, yeah, sure, this crown is probably in some trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, certainly in our system, uh, where there is an evaluation of this sort of thing when it happens, um, that, that would have an effect on their career in the crown's mm -hmm. office. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd with us this morning. We're going to pause for uh, some commercial messages. When we return, we're going to change our focus to another story in the news and see what my guests think about it. Stay with us right where you are on 1290 CJBK. This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. Left, right, and center. Marion Boyd and Bob Metz with us today. I want to shift, uh, shift the focus to another issue just to get a sense of where you two are coming from on it. Mohammed Al-Masri, who is the president of the Canadian Islamic Congress, has called on the uh, uh, governments of uh, both Canada and Ontario, and in fact, indeed, the provincial governments across the country, to institute compulsory religious training in both grade school and high school. Uh, his his uh, purpose for doing this relates to the, at least I assume, that it relates to uh, what he sees as a great misunderstanding of the Islamic faith in the, in the wake of the events of September the 11th, and we've certainly talked about that at great length on this program, about some of the problems and some of the mis misapprehensions people have about that faith. Um, he says that, that the way to avoid... Uh, this sort of clash of religions, clash of cultures, is to bring them closer together, and a classroom is a good place to do that, and he is proposing that it become compulsory that the major, and he says the world religions, which would include Christianity, uh, Judaism, Islam, uh, Buddhism, uh, the Hindu faith, and, and, and he didn't go, go beyond that. I don't know whether there's others that he would put on that list. But they should all be taught in our schools, at least the, the fundamentals of them should be taught in our schools. Uh, he's met with some, I'm, I'm, I'm told, some support at some levels in the government, and other levels of the government just don't want one more complication, which is what they see this as, in an already complex situation. Bob, I want to start with you today. Do you think this is a, a valid approach to improving understanding between the different cultures that make up our country? We used to take uh, religious study of other countries in social studies or, or subjects right. like that. Mm -hmm. If it's taught in that vein, and, in, and it was in all the schools I was in, um, I see no problem with it. I don't think it should be compulsory, and it shouldn't be a consequence of what happened on September 11th either. It's, it's, it's a whole separate thing. But I, you know, at the heart of it, I think the more you get in introducing religion in the situations, you're actually asking for more divisiveness and more reasons for conflict. Because religion, you know, when, when religions come into conflict, people who base their beliefs on faith have no objective evidence for their beliefs, and therefore there is no way to resolve, using reason and persuasion, um, any sort of conflicts between religious faiths, because mm -hmm. it, it is based on faith. Faith is something you accept on without reason or without any, uh, you know, evidence right in front of you. And as soon as you have that, you know, there's an old saying that if, if something is so, just because I say it's so, eventually somebody's going to pull a gun out, because that's the only way you can solve a dispute.
based on faith is through force and that's why we find religious disputes everywhere you find that you know the most warring areas of the world are happen to be around the most religious areas in the world that's not a coincidence that's a it's, it's part and parcel of the same thing and i don't think we want to introduce that kind of thing into our schools i think we want to teach reason tolerance and 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 teach people uh what you know more practical things about life than than having to learn every single religion that's out there i don't think that's going to get us very far in terms of quelling these conflicts right well i, I want to quibble with the word that you used mm -hmm. and i don't know whether um it was used by uh, mr el masri but you said training I don't believe that religious training belongs certainly in the public I education agree. system. Uh, I think I don't believe. I think he means. Word. I think he means re religious education. education yes. There uh, is a wonderful curriculum that was written here in London, partly. I mean, it was a coalition of people. But Don Santer was one of the people uh, used to work for the uh, London board. Uh, wonderful curriculum, uh, multi-faith curriculum, just uh, and and avoiding some of those pitfalls actually. Mm -hmm. Robert, that you talked about, because that curriculum basically was saying having having respect for people's faith is the first the mm -hmm. first issue. They're not there to question that faith; they're just there to understand what the belief structure was. And it was a wonderful curriculum. Um, and they brought it to us when I was education minister, getting to be a long time ago now, <laughs> ten years ago. Um, and it was a wonderful curriculum. Um, many of the people in the ministry said uh, it would be impossible to put that in uh, because of the constitutional rights issue and so on. They kept saying people send their children to public school rather than Catholic school or uh, parochial school mm -hmm. because they, they want it to be a secular education. And uh, certainly at that point, we were still feeling our way a lot with the constitutional issues and so yeah. on. And, and I think that was a good argument. I uh, personally, you know, being a, a person of faith myself, I would like to see people more aware of different kinds of religion. Um, but I, I really agree with the hesitation that Bob is, is suggesting, that once you start doing this, and particularly if you made it compulsory uh, in, in a public school setting, uh, that could be a real problem. But there are those who would say if it's not compulsory that it's not going to be effective because you're going to have people who whose worldview is perhaps blinkered a little bit by their faith, and I mean no disrespect by saying that, but people who perhaps want to ensure that their children inherit their worldview and none other uh, would be well, resistant. That's why we should have choice in education, but we don't have that. But I mean, do, but do our we, schools but themselves want, are compulsory. Yeah, but do we want people to be able to say, do we want to live in a society where people are free to pass along their prejudices and their biases without any counteract, uh, without any counteractive effort at all from the but larger what, society? No, we don't, that, but that's what religion's about, is about prejudice and bias, really, because that's what it's based on. I mean, you have a faith in something, and, and you're not supposed to question it. That's the whole, you know, if you can't question it, if it's not subject to reason or objectivity, you're on dangerous ground right then. And I don't think you want people thinking like that. I think you want people to use reason and be, you know, be taught persuasion and, and tolerance instead of the things that always come out when, when you get religious groups arguing amongst each other over 
who's the true believer, you know, what's going to happen in the afterlife and all these kinds of things. I don't think that that's... If I had had my choice of putting a child in, in the school of my choice, they wouldn't be going to a school that was teaching that kind of stuff. Well, see, one of the problems we've got is that uh, the more choice you give uh, in terms of, of education, and certainly this government has, has gone to the nth degree with this new tax credit issue for, for private education, what in fact is happening is that kids are getting split off and being educated in, in separate uh, locations. And that, I think, is much more dangerous than having kids together in a classroom, learning together about different faiths. Uh, I really think that the way in which the government has gone, what we're seeing is these very, very strong religiously-based schools. And uh, certainly there's, there's some real concern about the way in which the inculcation of such things as uh, if you if you if you die for Allah, you will go immediately to paradise. Or, you know, if you if you do X, then this will happen in the Christian religion, and so on. Um, I, I think we are seeing that happen. I'd rather see in a in a a truly public education system. Uh, kids learning about each other's other's faiths rather than separating them off into separate religious schools, which is the way this government has gone. The other thing is that it, the Ontario government has, uh, with this back-to-basics bent that they have, have taken out most of the kinds of courses that Robert was talking about that we had when we were, um, you know, growing up. Things like, uh, they actually call it man in society, which I found a little offensive, but that sort of thing, where we, in fact, look at ourselves in the context of the world as it is and the different belief structures, the different value structures. That's gone. Everything is subject-based, it's fact-based, everything is getting to the point where you have to prove that you know something, and it's very hard in these kind of contextual courses to, uh, to have a, an examination that is, is, is meaningful. You can write essays, you can do projects, but having that exam-based mentality that's happened with this government makes all of those courses seem less relevant, and they're not being offered. So I, while I, I might tend to think this would be a good idea, I don't see any hope for it happening for a lot of different reasons, uh, given the change in our education system in the last well, six You seem years. to be saying, Marion, that, that people who go to their own schools to be taught the religion of their choice is a very bad thing, and teaching the religion in a mixed public school system is a less bad thing, but both ways. You're saying that it's bad both ways, so maybe the solution is not to teach it at all and not even to allow it to be taught. If we're going to use uh, coercion and compulsion in order, what's, in order you know, to determine what's going to be and not taught in this country, um, maybe we should be going totally 100% the other way. Maybe we should make it compulsory to teach uh, reason, persuasion, capitalism, and all those things in the school. And socialism, too, um, Well, I wouldn't teach that, because I don't think stealing is a good idea. And I wouldn't teach capitalism, because there's enough examples of that around. Like private property, contract, you're against those things? You're against... Oh, all here we go. Folks, we're <laughs> back in a month. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I want to focus back again on, on, on whether or not this... Uh, whether or not this problem is, is capable of being addressed through this. This kind of no. cultural... Cl the clash of cultures is a... Was it Edward Said who talked about the war between civilizations now? But this clash of cultures that seems to be building... I, is this a reasonable way to do that? Or can we avoid that clash? I was talking to a fellow last week who said, you know, ultimately it's going to happen. Ultimately, with these various religious forces that are at work around the world, fundamentalist forces within not just the Muslim faith, but the Christian faith Absolutely. too, 
and 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 I'm told uh, uh, um, within the Hindu faith there are some problems there too. Uh, not problems, but there are conflicting views that he says ultimately these things are going to have to work themselves out on the battlefield, if not the, the military battlefield, the battlefield of the mind. There are going, it is going to be a clash. Uh, I found that a very it's sad. It's always been a clash. Well, it has, well, but I, it, it can't be any other way. You, you use the word fundamentalist. I object to that word. The people that we're calling fundamentalists, whether Islamic or re, or, or Christian or otherwise, mm -hmm. are not fundamentalists. They're they're literalists. They're good point. Very good point. They're people who take something out of yes. the Bible, take it out of context, take a string of five words, and they literally take it for what it is, and they are totally devoid of any fundamental and, understanding. And ignore all the words around yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's no. what fundamentalism is about, is understanding the principles behind the whole thing and, and what the ultimate message is, which seems to be a consistently benign kind of a good message if you're really looking at the total fundamental issue of why why people are attracted to religion but when you're talking about fundamentalism in the sense that we've been hearing so much of these days i think we're just talking about literalists who no, have no right. concept and you're no ability right. to think and isn't it fascinating too and you just alluded to it a little bit there isn't it fascinating if you study the major world's religions which which i did some years ago and i don't profess to be an expert at all but but when i was sort of finished when i finished my little project to become better acquainted with all the major faiths i came away with an understanding rightly or wrongly that essentially all of all of them all of them come down to the golden rule all of them I think do. you're right about that you know and the rest of it is is cultural accretations or whatever mm -hmm. else has happened and been piled and piled and piled and piled they they all share that concern about loving one another about caring for one another and that that is an expression of god in your life That's right. whether you're a muslim or a christian or a jew it all comes down to the same thing and yet we have piled so much on top of that that fundamental and so simple it's beautiful in its simplicity in 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 that th in that uh, that idea we've piled so much on it that we've got we've got to the point where these various religions can find reasons to kill each other but you see it's all about it's all about these issues of power and control yes, what you're politics, talking about it, yeah what you're talking about is is a fundamental you know faith position that then from from you, you you sort of measure everything you do back to that that sense mm -hmm. that you you in fact uh, um, are have have something in common with everybody else in the world and that all of you have have God in you and that's 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 but that that is is immediately translated into power and control issues uh, in organized religion doesn't matter what kind it is it's 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 you have to do it this way or else you're not truly a faithful follower. Mm -hmm. Uh, or take some words, these words, this is what it is to be truly Christian or truly Muslim, and none of those other words matter. And so, you know, if you go through the, the centuries and centuries of, of uh, religious uh, discourse and, and discussion that's gone on in, in those, those three major religions anyway, you find that um, there will always be something that someone will claim is the truth, and then use that as a power and control mechanism from, you know, um, in, in, in all of our major We have about ten seconds left, Robert. I'm going to give you the last word today. Uh, we have to bear in mind that when we're talking about religion, especially when it combines with the state, you cannot do good at the force of a gun. And, you know, even well-meaning people who have religious beliefs think that they can do good through government, and then they end up with the worst of results. Bob Metz and Marion Boyd, thank you so much. Uh, enlightening Thanks, as always and enjoyable too. This has been Left, Right and Center with Robert Metz and Marion Boyd. Please join us again next week, same time, same station, for another look at some of the issues of the day with some of uh, London's more profound thinkers. That's not bad, eh? Hey, I can say that, that can I? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs>